So uh, we've been talking about the 40 years anniversary, and so we started this little uh, series on vision, about how God gives His people vision. And so for the last two weeks, we've been talking about this, about how God gives His people vision, and we talked about different scenarios about um, the from creation, Genesis 1, for the humans, God's vision is to fill the earth. For um, Noah, it was to build an ark. For Abraham, it was to be a great nation. And you can go on and on and on. And so God always gives vision to his people before he sends them out. He always tells them, this is what I want from you. Now go do it. From there, we talked about how when the people of God start doing that, when they start actually doing what God tells them to do, he starts building. So on Noah's vision, it was go build an ark. The next thing he told him was, now get in. So after Noah participated in the vision that God had for him, God did a little bit more and built on that. And we see that with everything. That God told Abraham, I'm going to make you a great nation. How does God build on that? Isaac. And through that, God does this amazing work that leads all the way to Jesus. And so we talked about that for the last two weeks. But this week, we're going to talk about how... Strife follows God's vision. That wherever God has vision, because humanity is implementing that, you're going to have strife. You're going to have problems. You're going to have issues. So that's what we're talking about today. So guess what? We're going to air some laundry. And at, at one point, you might get to this idea of, man, this is a downer. Well, every, every sermon series, we've got to have at least one. Right, we gotta have at least one where we're like, man, this is really a bum, bummed out day. Okay, so that's today. This is so get comfortable, and prepare to be bummed out. All right, so let's start where we've been starting every time, which is the alliance. Okay, the the big big A alliance. So we talked about how the alliance started with eight people capturing the the vision of God to reach the immigrants of New York. And from there, they began to spread out and they began to um, gather together as alliance and began to build um, schools, uh, colleges, and build missionary organizations that were sending out missionaries to all over the world. And so places like Japan, Peru, um, were getting missionaries now through this movement. And by the 1920s, they had gone coast to coast and worldwide. In fact, um, on the West Coast, they built a school called Simpson Bible that was in Seattle, and then it moved to San Francisco, and then to Redding, and that's where I went. And so the Alliance started expanding and expanding, but then something happened in the early 1900s. It started in 1905, and it lasted about until 1915, 1916, and it was called the Azusa Street Revival. It was over here in California. And what was going on is there was this movement of the Holy Spirit and a revival broke out. And so denominational leaders from all these different groups came to see what is going on at Azusa. The alliance was just like that. They said, let's go out and see what God is doing. Through that, the, an issue started springing up. Now, the alliance is, if you know this debate, there's a debate on have the gifts of the Holy Spirit have they ended or have they not? The alliance is a, what's called a non-cessationist, meaning we believe that the gifts of the Holy Spirit are for today. All right? 
Um, so, but the question became, is there one particular gift that is needed or nece- necessary or has to be there? Okay, let's take out all the thesaurus words. And is that supposed to be for every single believer? So in this case, it was the gift of tongues. So in order to have salvation, are you supposed to have the gift of tongues? And this became a, a discussion and a debate within the alliance. What the alliance decided was that no, you do not have to have this gift or any particular gift to have salvation as a sign of your salvation. That the Holy Spirit is the one that decides that. And we base this off of 1 Corinthians 12, where it says the Holy Spirit is the one who decides. And so that was the decision of the alliance. But this this caused strife within this fledgling group. And so groups began to split off. One of those groups is the Assemblies of God. Another one is the Foursquare. And so there was this, this little split of this group that was combined together starting in the 1800s going up to the 1920s. So within 40 years, they had this little split. And that's one of the little stripes that the Alliance have. Not to mention all the other ones of missionaries going into other countries and being airlifted out of Vietnam and things like that. Here's another one that's just happened in the last year. Let's just say that. It's hard to say year now because we're in a different year since last June. In the Alliance, women have always been a part of what makes up the Alliance. They are a part of who founds um, colleges, ministries. We have uh, single women as missionaries. Um, They have always been a core part of the Alliance, as they should be, because... Women are a core part of God's church. Amen? Is that all right? Um, And there's this discussion that started probably, it it started in the 80s, but took flourishing in the 90s about um, what is the role of women within the alliance. And so for men, to give you kind of some inside baseball, um, men do this thing called an ordination track. And so we all... Um, you become a licensed worker. Tony's actually on this track right now. It's, it's a fun-filled time. <laughs> um, so basically, they want you to get this, you become a licensed worker, and then you, they want you to become ordained. And what that entails is they want you to do it within three years. They want you, now they want you to do it in 18 months, but they usually want you to do it in three years. Some of us did it a little different. I did about 10 years. Um, <laughs> but... Yeah, it's just, you know, how it goes. And so um, what you do in this is you write like six papers, uh, theological papers. You read like 10 books. You go to conferences. You do all this thing. And I always keep, every time it's brought up, I go, you guys need to make this into a master's level thing. Like at the end of it, you should get a master's after this because of all the time. Because at the very end, you have to do an oral exam. And it's, completely from memory okay and so they i was told they allot four hours for this exam and it's just they ask you a question you just have to answer it okay and if you don't you fail <laughs> like that's how it is um my first time through i passed the second time through 
Um, it was really simple the second time. So anyways, so in the 90s, and at the, let's say, at the end of that, you get this really cool thing. You're called reverend. Man, it was worth it. I know we have some other Alliance people in here. Don't go tell them, like the, your district superintendents or anyone, don't go tell them that I'm talking about this. We're, we're just going to cut this from the, the feed afterwards. Anyways. Um, so the question became, what about women? And so in the 90s, they, um, they did a, a track for women to become consecrated. And at the end of their track, it's the ex- exact same thing. They get the title consecrated worker. Okay, it just rolls off the tongue. Right? Um, so from there, it becomes the question of, and this is the issue that was tackled in June at our general council, and should women have the title pastor? Okay, out of this general council, the um, c- the consensus was that the alliance has always been male eldership, so men will be elders, but women may have the title pastor, and it's all based off of the local church. The local church can basically give any title they want to anyone now. Okay. So if you want my position on this, I wrote a little five-page paper, and I'll tell you right now, it's not as in-depth as I would like. In fact, I wrote it. It took me only about 10, 15 minutes to write. And I, told, I had my wife read through it, and she goes, that's good. And I said, but there's so much more I want to add. But if I did, that would be called a book. And so I can't do that. So it just, it's a, just a short place where I stand on this whole issue. And by the end of it, you're just going to take away one thing. Jeremiah hates titles, okay? This is why I don't like being pastor, and you'll see why. And I'll just give you a little hint. It's Matthew 23, okay? So that's, you'll find out. But if you'd like to know my stance, you can go through. Good or bad, that is the situation we have. Now, this is causing strife. Um, from what I understand, we've already had eight churches leave the Alliance. One of it is our um, a sister church right up the road in Kingman. In fact, um, a lady this morning um, lives in Kingman, goes to the Southern Baptist Church up there, and she said they're meeting with us now, like in our facility at a separate time. And I told her, you need to pray for that congregation. So if you would, please pray for the Kingman uh, what used to be called Kingman Alliance, now I think they're called Crosspoint. Um, if you could pray for them, because there's a lot of hurt there. All right, so just, that's a side note. But this is strife, and it's not ended yet. Like I'm a part of a pastor's um, uh, chat, like a little chat on Facebook. This pipes off every two days or so. It's just another thing, and it lasts for about two days. People are just going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And there's a lot of hurt. There's a lot of anger that's going on right now. So that is something right now that the Alliance is dealing with that's strife. All right? But we see this throughout Scripture. All right? So we've been talking about these different things like Noah, Abraham, right? We've been talking about these. So we're just going to run through these real quick. And I'm just going to give you the references. So you can, so we can follow this, because if not, we'd be here for two hours. All right. So here we go. This is what happens. So strife comes with vision because sinful, redeemed people 
um, walk in the holy vision of God, okay? That's why. So though we're redeemed, we're still struggling with sin, and so we cause a lot of the strife ourselves, all right? So in the Old Testament, so we could jump ahead. In the Old Testament, you're going to see this real quick. So Genesis 9. Genesis 9 starts off with um, Noah and his family coming out, God giving vision of now go and be fruitful and multiply. It's the vision from Genesis 1. And right after God says this, you get, and this, this is all you have to already kind of have the Sunday school knowledge of this, okay? Noah is then gets drunk and his sons have to cover his nakedness. Now, there is a whole different thing here that might have to do, and we can't get into it, but might have to do with sexual immorality when dealing with this nakedness between a son and a, and a mom, okay? There might be an issue here that's deeper than what just a cursory glance. But what we see from that is a curse comes to Canaan, one of the grandsons of Noah. And so right from the get-go, there's strife. There's strife that keeps going, all right? Then we fast forward that a couple chapters into Abraham's story. Abraham, we started off, right, 1 through 3, Genesis 12, 1 through 3, and that's the call of Abraham to go to a different land. And so in the different land, um, he's going, and then right after God says, don't leave your family, right? He says, leave your family and go to a land that I will show you. All right, as soon as that happens, you know what the very next thing is? And he brought Lot. Lot is his family, and he brought him. And if you know the story, Lot just has problem after problem of problem follows Lot. And then right after that, it says that Abraham goes down to Egypt, and he tells his wife, look, you're really pretty which is a really good thing to tell your wife, right? You're really pretty, and someone's going to want you as their wife. And if they do that, they'll kill me. So we'll just say you're my sister. That leads to more strife. And if you continue reading, it's strife after strife after strife from when God gives the vision to when God fulfills part of that, when he builds on that vision. In um, 25 years later in Genesis 20. And so you just have this, this strife, strife, strife. I have a list so long that we could do the whole time just talking about the Old Testament. Because then you get into places like Joseph. You know, Joseph, he says to his brothers, which is always a good idea as a sibling, you're going to bow down to me. <laughs> right? And, the, and what do they do? They send him off as a slave right? Then you get to Moses, and this is the one in Exodus. In Exodus 20, Moses goes up to Mount Sinai. He goes up to Mount Sinai, and, and up there, God says, here's everything, right? He sets up the covenantal relationship between him and the people of Israel. And then, so he spends all this time from uh, Exodus 20 through 30, and then as Moses comes down the mountain, what happens? Those of you know. There's a golden calf. The people have now worshiping a golden calf. And that causes strife. And you see this again and again. That strife happens again and again. As Moses is leading. And at one point he gets so frustrated with them. Right? He breaks a rock. But 
All this happens. And you can just keep following this. You have vision of God. God builds and strife is right there. And it doesn't matter who it is. It's like every single person has one. One of my favorites is Elijah. Elijah shows up in Kings. And all these great things happen in chapter 17, chapter 18. And it's just any one of us would be like, wow, I would just love to have like these experiences of the flames coming down and, you know, um, putting in place those that don't believe in God, you know, and just and then what happens? Jezebel. Jezebel says, I want to kill Elijah. And Elijah takes off running. And then he goes into a pity party in front of God. And all this strife is happening and yet God just did great things. And you can continue to follow this into the New Testament. My favorite part is Mark. In Mark, you start in chapter 8. And so we can jump ahead there. So Mark chapter 8, you have this situation where Peter, the whole thing, if you take Mark as like, and you just look at how it's the bones of Mark, everything leads up to chapter 8 and to this one question of Jesus, who do you say I am? And Peter's response is the Messiah, right? So he says Messiah, perfect, right? Great. He gets it. That's the vision of God for Jesus, that he would be the Messiah, right? Okay, what happens? Jesus builds on it. He says, and I'm, and I'm going to die and resurrect. What does Peter do? Rebukes him. That ain't happening, Jesus. As soon as Jesus says it, it's strife. It doesn't stop there. The next chapter, you have all the disciples. They're all bickering about who is the greatest. And they're going around and they're, they're arguing. And Jesus has to put them in their place. And they're like, you have to be like this little child. The least shall be first, right? The, the last should be first. And so you have this whole thing. So he has to correct them. And it's like you think they would get it, right? Nope, because right after that, it's, hey, there's another guy out there, and he's casting out demons, he's healing people in your name, you need to go stop him, Jesus. And, you know, you get, uh, like, pictures in your mind. I just picture Jesus going like this. Like, I don't know how you see Jesus, but... I, I always picture Jesus with a big red mark on his forehead because it's like every single, like, he says something and then they go, no, Jesus, you're wrong. And then it's like, we, who's going to be the greatest? Well, it's the least of this, right? And he goes, okay, you guys are getting, but that guy over there, come on. And so Jesus didn't die by crucifixion. He died by slaps to the head. That's what, no, that is not biblical do not take that. All right? But this just happens again. Every time there's vision of God, there's strife that is a part of it. And it's because of us. It's because sinful humanity is trying to follow a holy God. And though we are redeemed, it still happens. So let's talk about us. So that last fill in the blank is Mark, Mark chapter 9. Um, verse 38 through 41. But let's talk about our story. I'm going to give you two stories of this ministry. All right? The two best ones I know. Because there's a lot. So, 
this, I've shared the story about where this began, right? We started as a Bible study to reach out to the young families of Quartzsite in the late 90s, or the late 70s. In the 80s, 1984, we became an Alliance-affiliated church. That's what we are today. We are an Alliance church. And this actually happened because Pastor Jeff, who was the pastor before me, whose daughter is over there, whose wife is up there, um, they were actually ministering in Havasu, and it was just kind of a, a God-ordained happenstance. And so they met, and that's kind of where this church kind of, oh, let's be alliance, and so that's kind of where it went. And then Jeff moved to Southern California, and then he was called over here. And I always joked with Jeff, the reason why God called you back to the desert is because every time he wants to teach someone something, he sends them to the desert. And so you're here, Jeff. You're not getting out of this, man. You got, God's got something for you, right? And same here. Like, there's not any difference. I'm just saying, like, he's after you, Jeff. Anyways, so he keeps bringing you back. Anyways, um, so he becomes a pastor here. And this is the early 2000s. And understand this. So when this, this ministry began, um, it had a lot of Baptist background in it. And so they ran the, the ministry as a Baptist background, right? Like a governing board. And so the district superintendent comes to Jeff and says to him, look, we've been basically being lenient with this group for 20 years. They need to start acting like an alliance church. So they need to redo their bylaws. And the alliance is very kind of strict on this, that we have elder, male eldership, as the governing board and so they had their annual meeting and it was tension right and carol could probably tell the story a lot better than me um and the district superintendent actually has to come out and tell the people you either do this or no one leaves like we have you have to do this if you want to continue to be in the lion's church you have to run it like an alliance church which makes sense but what ends up happening after that is some of the people felt railroaded, right? Like they made us do this. And so there's a lot of hurt that comes out of that, right? And Jeff had to deal with a lot of issues from that. So now fast forward to 2012 and there's a, a situation that happens in the about spring. We have to get a new bookkeeper and the person that takes over um, does really good for about six months, but then gets a lot of health issues. And so books start getting messed up. Deposits don't get made. Bills aren't getting paid. And so it becomes an issue. So what the church does is it forms a financial committee to kind of fix the whole, the whole thing. Except one thing happened that no one knew, and it only was known by the pastors, the elders, their wa the wives, because um, if you don't tell them, then you're really in trouble, um, and the bookkeeper. And what that is, is ever since the church um, stepped, stepped out in faith in about 2004 to hire on a youth pastor to really push the youth ministry and really go after um, the gospel with our young people, the senior pastor would not usually not take a paycheck at least once during the summertime. Because I don't know if you know this, but the way Quartzsite works is a lot of people come in in the wintertime 
And there's not as many. They're, they're, it's almost the same, but not as many are here in the summertime. I don't know if you know this. But, and so giving is a lot in the wintertime, and it's not so much in the summertime. So what the church has done is held on to, we hold on to finances to get us through the rest of the summer. But by August, those finances roll out. All right? So, it's okay, Bert. It's okay. You'll just buy lunch. All right. Oh, good job, man. <laughs> So anyways, so about August, that's when finances would run out. And so Pastor Jeff wouldn't take a, a check sometimes once, sometimes twice. I think one time it was three times. And but he never said anything about it because the church always paid him back. At least that's what he told me. I don't know if that's true. Yeah. OK. I just, Carol's up there so I can like make sure I'm getting things right. OK, so later on, you can go, did he get it right? And she's like, no, um, but so that no one knew that because Jeff didn't want people to know. And the reason why isn't because he was trying to hide anything. It's just he wanted he he believed in the youth ministry so much. Like that's what he said. And he would always this is when I found out, I didn't find this out till like three years into the ministry. When I found out that was it, I'm like, why do you do that? He said, because I'd rather you get paid and not me so that the ministry can continue on. Like that was that was his heart. Okay, so anyways, everyone found out <laughs> that this happened in 2012. And so what the committee did is they, they started looking at everything. What, what, how can we fix this, right? We want our pastor to get paid. How do we fix this? Now, the issue became this. If you approach ministry with a business mindset, if anyone have a business, right, or you, you ran a business, okay, you know that when you have more expenditures than you have income what do you need to start doing cutting right you need to start cutting expenditures so that you can make money right like that is and you start looking where can i cut and you start cutting anyway the problem was is our ministry i'll tell you the biggest expense of this ministry it's youth i don't know if you know that at the time it was between 60 to 75 percent of the total income that comes in goes to youth that goes into um, fixing things that the youth break that goes into and, and right there it's like 90% of the 60% okay um, but it's vans right it's vans it's the youth pastor salary that's where most of our funding goes into okay and you don't know this but Jeff was one of the least paid pastors in courtside his whole time here okay and so he believed that much into this ministry. So what ended up happening was that the committee said, well, let's get rid of our biggest expenditures. We don't need the vans. They can be dropped, uh, kids can be dropped off. Um, we don't need to feed them because parents should be feeding them, which is true. And let's get rid of the youth pastor. All right, so these are the biz biggest expenditures. Now there's a lot more to this. I can't give you any more details. You know why? I was never invited to be a part of this conversation. I actually had to sneak in one time when they were having a, um, a meeting and I sat up in the sound booth and I listened because I didn't know what was going on. 
And this was the issue. One person brought up that because Jeff allowed this to happen, that he should be replaced as well. And so this became a, a huge issue. And it was said that if this doesn't change, by the end of 2013, the summer of 2013, we'll be shutting down the ministry. Closing the doors. Now, obviously, that didn't happen. But, and I share that with you, not to say, oh, these people did this, because there was problems on both sides. There was. The question that I always brought up was, are we doing this biblically? So I took one person aside, one of the people that was kind of leading the charge, and I said, are you approaching this biblically? Because this is causing a lot of strife. In fact, I think about 30 people left the church because of this issue. And obviously, we're still here. We're still doing God's work. And right now, we've been more financially stable and reaching more, baptizing more people than we have in years. And so, strife comes with the vision of God. It's because we're sinful people. And though we are redeemed, sometimes sin gets in the way. That's just the way it is. But here's the good news. Okay, so that's all the downer part. Let's get into the hope of Christ, okay? So now you can sit up a little taller because now we're going to talk about good stuff. God always works out good. He always does. This is what He does. I can't say for a living because He's eternal. (laughs) This is what He does as His choice is to work out the, the problems His people make so that He can bring good from them. And this we know because of Romans 28. I'm going to give you two verses today that you need to memorize. All right? First one is Romans, two, uh, Romans 8.28. Okay? Romans 8.28. And I'm going to read this so we get it right. All right? Because I want to kind of walk through it with you. And this is what it says. And we know that for those who love God, stop. That we know for those who love God, this verse gets cut up sometimes. So we start off, those who love God. Okay, so if you love God, this is your verse. All right, this is a verse for you if you love God. Right. So if you love God, all things work together for good. Now, that word all means all. It means everything. It means every single thing is a matter of good or bad. It all works for good. So all things work for good. And this is usually where everyone stops. They put a period here and they say, see, God works everything out. No, no, no. For those who love God, this is your verse. He works all things out for good, comma. Okay? I don't know if you... I always got docked in English because I wouldn't put commas. They're just run-on sentences. Right? This is all connected. Right? Comma. For those who are called according to His purposes. So, you can love God, and if you're not doing His purposes, is He going to work out that good? Maybe eventually. But you've got to be called according to His purpose. We could say it like this. God fixes the strife and makes it good, even though we mess it up, if we're in His vision. So, if we're doing the vision and we, we falter, He still will work that good out. I can't, 
I can't by myself destroy God's vision. Right? I can't do that. Right? Is that is that heresy? No, because God is greater than me. He will work out his goods despite uh, despite me. Not in spite, just despite. And he says, "Okay, now Jeremiah, I will deal with you." Right? And he deals with us as individuals. But his vision, his purposes will succeed. We can't stop that, but we can be a part of it. And we can stop having strife. And we'll get to that in a little bit. But this is so important that we understand. No matter what happens, every single strife. And I want to kind of walk you through that just real quick. Let's talk about Abraham. Or let's, let's talk about Noah. Noah, that strife, God worked it out with Abraham. Abraham had strife, right? We talked about that. He worked it out in Isaac. And he worked it out in Jacob. And he worked it out in the Twelve. And he worked it out in Moses. And he worked it out in David. And you know where it worked out even more? Jesus. All that strife worked out because Jesus is Messiah. And then Jesus goes through strife, right? A little bit of strife. It's called the cross. Right? And what's that lead to? Every single one of us in this room that accepts Jesus as Savior. Think about that. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, as the scriptures say. That's how God works out strife. He works it out for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purposes. It's so important that we understand that. It's everything. Not only that, but then it continues on, if we can jump ahead, to John 16. Okay? And we'll get back to that. But Jesus, so we, we can go back real quick. Jesus said, okay, Jesus said that we're going to have trial and we're going to have tribulation. This is the second verse you've got to memorize. John 16.33. Okay, so John 16.33 says, says, I have said, right? I have said these things. So he's talking about something previously. He talks about things so that we might have peace, right? So these things to you that in you, um, in you, may, that you may have peace, okay? And then he says, in the world, you will have tribulation, troubles. That word tribulation, it can mean anything. Like it can mean um, the smallest inconvenience to the worst possible situation. I mean, it's just a big word that means you're going to have problems everywhere. Like that's just a part of it. He says, but take heart, I have overcome the world. This is really important because anytime we encounter strife, God works it out for good for those who love Him and are calling His purposes. So, He did all that in the Old Testament. In the Alliance, did you know, so in the early 1900s, the Alliance had this little split. The assemblies went on to their thing. Did you know that, this was a couple years ago, that there was two denominations that were planning more churches than closing. You know what two denominations those were? The Assemblies of God was number one, and the Alliance was number two. Think God worked out good? Yeah, He did. Because now they're reaching people for the gospel. The Alliance is reaching people for the gospel. The Foursquare um, is reaching people for the gospel. People are being reached for the gospel. God can work out good from those things. What's God going to work out good for this current strife for the Alliance? Who knows? I don't know. Because we're in it. 
And we're waiting for that. But for this church, I'll tell you this, all the strife that Jeff went through, I praise God that he did because you know what? I've had it so easy. <laughs> My, if you ever come to one of our annual meetings, it's like, are you guys even alive? It's so easy. Shouldn't someone be yelling? Like, isn't that, it's, it's weird, right? We've had people that come in to a, one of our annual meetings and everything's very cordial and we get through it and we get done and everyone leaves kind of on a high note. And I've had people say, that wasn't a real church meeting. And it's because God worked through the people before us that we have it so easy right now in this ministry. And praise God. And so Jesus always works things out for his people. For the good that are called according to his purposes. And he reminds us, you're always going to have the strife, so don't worry because he has overcome it. So that is where we're at. So how do we do that? Like as believers then, what is our part in, in the strife struggle, right? And so that's what we're talking about now. So this is how we do it. We're going to overcome strife by submitting to the Holy Spirit, extending forgiveness and grace to one another, all right? That's going to be, and here's the second um, book that you need to you need to read. So this is how I tell people how to read their Bibles when they first become a believer. Okay, this is the order. You read John, the Gospel of John. The reason why is because you need to know, as a young believer, you need to know Jesus as John knew Jesus. John knew him in the way that he calls himself the beloved disciple. You need to learn about Jesus so that you can understand that you are the beloved disciple. Okay, You need to get to that point. The next thing I tell people is you need to start reading Matthew and then Colossians, Philippians, and Galatians. Like those four. That's the next step. Because those will give you a good understanding of, of, under, of teaching of the Scriptures. And if you're reading Matthew as you're reading Colossians, you're going to see a lot of overlap. And that's what we're going to talk about. Because that's where we find our role in how do we mitigate the impact of strife in our churches, in our lives, in general, all right? So Colossians 3, and it starts in verse 12. And this is what Paul writes. He says, put on then as God's chosen ones. Okay? So this all starts out with God's chosen ones. So this is, if you are God's chosen one, right? You, are, you love God. You've accepted Jesus as Savior. This is your passage. Okay? This is for us. God's chosen ones. And this is how God sees us. Holy and beloved. All right? So this is what he sees. This is who we are. So put on then, if we take out those commas, right? Because commas, side note type stuff. Put on then compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord forgives you, so you also must forgive. That's how we deal with strife, right there. If I love God, I am called His holy. I am called holy and beloved. Alright, so what do I need to do? Holy Spirit, I need compassion. I need mercy. 
I need kindness. I need gentleness. I need these, these things that Paul would call the fruits of the Spirit. I need those things. And then he says, And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Last week we talked about the, how God builds the church. And we left off at the end of chapter 12, and there's chapter 13. This is the summary of that book, of that little area. He says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts in which indeed you were called in one body. And, can't skip this, be thankful. Even in strife, I'm thankful. Why? Because my brothers and sisters, we are brothers and sisters in Christ. And though we're going through this hardship right now, we're still brothers and sisters in Christ. And I'm thankful for that. It's a huge thing that we need to... Be thankful for. And then he says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one, in, one another in all wisdom. And this is interesting. Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. We have to worship together. If we're mad at someone, what's the one thing you want to do when you're mad at someone? Get away. I just want to be away from you, right? Give me 10 minutes or I'm going to rip your head off type of thing, Right? But Paul's saying, you've you got to come and worship together. You've got to do this. And the singing of psalms, that's scriptural. Like, sing the psalms, right? Hymns. When we think of hymns, we probably think of things like, How Great Thou Art, Amazing Grace. But Paul's not talking about those. He, they weren't around. He's talking about the doctrine songs of the faith. The, the things that, this is who... Christ is Lord, and we sing that. There's little snippets in Corinthians and different parts of Scripture where it's just this little tiny verse. And that's be something they sung, like a doxology. And so he's saying, sing those things. And the reason now we have these hymns and we grab a hold of these things, we say these are so important that they're a part of our doctrine and we want to continue singing these. And then the spiritual songs are the songs that God has given the people to sing out of praise. And so a lot of our hymns that we sing now that we call hymns, you know what those were? Spiritual songs. God gave those. And then the church said, this is so good and doctrinally sound. We want that to be a part of our repertoire. And God's still giving spiritual songs today. And so this is what he's saying. Sing these things together. And it's all in the context of how you deal with someone that's a jerk to you. Someone that you don't want to forgive, but you need to forgive. Like it's all done within that. It's all done within the confines of understanding the church. And so then he says, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. You ever... I don't know if you guys do this. This is probably just me. You guys probably never do this. You get into your car and you put on um, the radio and it, you're like, I don't want to sing that. I want something that matches my anger. You ever done that? And you go searching through the channels and you're like, just something, just something. And here in courts, you get like three channels. So it's like Christian country or, or oldies. Don't really work half the time. And it's like, because I want to reflect that. But Paul's saying you sing 
with thankfulness in your heart. That even if I'm in strife with my brother or sister right down the aisle from me, I can still sing with thankfulness. Why? Because they are my brother or sister. They're not my enemy. My enemy is prowling, as Peter says, prowling around like a lion. They are not my enemy. That guy is that wants to destroy this. And then he ends. And I actually, so there is in 1 Corinthians um, 10, uh, there's this verse that is parallel to this one. And I actually put that verse on my cleats when I played baseball. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and Father through Him. No matter what I do, no matter if I'm going through strife or good times, I'm giving glory to God. You know what that puts in perspective? I need to be more graceful. I need to be more forgiving. So when my brother or sister, and we're having this strife, how do I become, how do I do that? By the power of the Holy Spirit. And so this is how we do that. We overcome strife by submitting to the Holy Spirit, by saying, I need this. I need that. That's what I need right there. I need Colossians 3. That's what I need. And then I extend that forgiveness and grace to one another. And we talk about these things a couple times. There are things that we should split on. Like gospel things. Things that deal with the gospel. But most of the time, the things we split on, the things we get angry about, are those secondary things that mean a hill of beans. Gospel stuff is things that take us into eternity. The secondary stuff is stuff that we're arguing about that when it comes to Jesus, when He returns, there won't be one thing on our mind about those secondary things. And this is the story that always gets sold, right? What do churches usually split over? Carpet. Songs. Ambiance. Whatever these things that aren't even in second tier or third tier or fourth tier, they're in no tier. And that's what we usually do. So more grace, more forgiveness. That's what I need to do. Why? Because that's what my Lord calls me to. And so my challenge for you this week is this. It's just a prayer. So each one of these challenges has been a prayer. This one is to go before the Lord and say, where have I aided strife? This always starts with us. If you go through um, Matthew 18 and Jesus' way to deal with issues in the church, um, there is actually implied there's three steps but there's an implied zero step and the zero step is as the as the cool youth used to say right cody used to be there right check yourself before you wreck yourself okay that means go before the lord and make sure that you have done nothing and if you have done something guess who's in trouble you are that's step zero and so lord where have i aided strife in the church and you know as a husband you learn this really quick where have i messed up (laughs) right she's not talking okay what did i do there it is that's what we need to do before the lord god where have i aided strife the next and then we we go Please forgive me. I need forgiveness. And we might need to go to our brother or sister and say, can you forgive me? 
I did this and I shouldn't have done that. Would you forgive me? Think about that. You ever had an issue with someone? And if they would just said sorry, you would have said sorry, but because they're not saying sorry, you're not saying sorry? You ever done that? Oh, yeah. It's really easy, right? Well, they don't want to do it. Well, should I do it? And Jesus is calling us to forgiveness. The next one is, where can I extend grace? Like, okay, so maybe there was something wrong with me. Maybe there wasn't. But in this situation, how can I extend grace here? And we ask the Holy Spirit because we shouldn't be doing this in our own strength. We ask the Holy Spirit, please empower me to do this. Please get me to that point because I don't want to extend grace. I want to extend the left hook. Like that's what I want to extend. But you want me to extend grace, so how can I do that? And then the last one is, where can I be of service? If you read that, that little paper, I'm going to spoil it right now for you. It ends on Matthew 23. And if you've been around long enough, you know I hate titles. I hate them. But there's only one I do think is proper. And it is minister. This is the reason why. The word for deacon is equal to service, basically. And it is used of Christ. Of Paul uses it. Peter uses it to talk about how we are to serve one another. That's basically what a minister means. Is they're ministering. They're serving other people. So who's a minister? Every single person. That's why I have no problem with that title. Because it is a title for every single person that says, I follow Jesus. You are a minister. You're a minister of the gospel. You're a minister to your brothers and sisters. That's who we are. We are supposed to stand up and say, where can I serve? This was the whole issue that the, those disciples were dealing with. Who's the greatest? The one who serves. What about that guy? He's serving people. Like, that's what he's doing. And so, where can I serve? We're talking to the Holy Spirit. Please guide me. That's where I want to do it. How can I serve my brothers and sisters in, in strife? That's where I should be. And think about this. How many of you have been in churches where you've had strife? Huh? Show of hands. Let's, let's look at each other. Okay, so I want you, no, keep your hands up. I want you to look around at everyone here. There's not many people that keep their hands down. We're all in the same boat, right? Okay, now you can put your hands down. I just want to praise the Lord. Thank you. We are all in the same, we all get it, right? We all get that there's strife. Think about this. In the, take that, that moment of strife. If someone would have been a little more graceful, if someone would be a little more merciful, a little more forgiving, a little more service-minded, what would have happened to that strife? It probably would have went away. That church probably wouldn't have split. That ministry probably wouldn't have suffered. And yet, God works out good for those who are called according to His purposes. And there will be trouble But Jesus has overcome the world. Even in strife, God is still good. And as His people, that's what we want. We want to see the goodness of God 
on display for everyone. And as his people, where does that start? With us. All right? We have a perfect opportunity to do that in Quartzsite right now. For the next week, it's going to be strife. <laughs> right? You're going to have people driving five miles in a 45. You're going to have long lines. Strife is going to be here. That's a part of it. I praise God right now that we don't have any strife in this ministry that I know of. But out there, we have an opportunity to live in the light of Christ to a dark world that people are going to cut each other off. You're going to see yelling and honking and things like this. And if you go, just, just go before the Holy Spirit, a little more grace, a little more forgiveness. How can I extend that? You'll actually have people go, why are you so calm when that person's such a jerk? Perfect response is, because I want you to see Jesus. And that's what you just saw. And you just planted the seed. And they might go, see, I told you. They might lean over to their friends and say, see, I told you quartzite was weird. <laughs> but then they just had a seed planted. And I'll tell you this right now. In the last two years, there's an atheist and there's a new age person. And because of the, their, the Christians around them, and because of the world, how strife-filled it is right now, that atheist and that New Ager came to Christ because they had Christians around them that were so calm and collected and graceful that the strife didn't phase them because their Jesus overcame the world. And your Jesus is the same Jesus. And so he already overcame the world. So let's walk in that, right? Did we end on a good note? All right, let's end on a better note. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are good. You're gracious. There's not enough synonyms to talk about how wonderful you are to us. Father, thank you for my brothers and sisters this morning. Thank you for my brothers and sisters down the road, across this state, across this nation, across this world. Lord, we are your church, moving us the way you would have us. Father, I pray for all of us in here that when we encounter strife, whether that be just out in our regular lives, out and about, or in the, in your, the body of Christ, Lord, that we would be grace-filled people, that we would be extending forgiveness, that we would show the love of Christ to anyone and everyone that you would bring into our path, that you may be glorified in all of it. I thank you and I praise you in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right.